how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 366 of the podcast where I sat down with Jennifer Caton Robinson, writer for the new film Thor Love and Thunder and Netflix's Do Revenge, which comes out this month. We also talk about her other movies, her show first, Sweet Vicious, and then Someone Great, Unpregnant, Do Revenge, and of course, Thor. So we talk about starting the script, what it means to come up with ideas, how to chase those ideas, how she incorporates social issues based on character, what it was like to write with Taika Waititi on this latest film, and how she wanted to make a movie kind of like the movies of her past, Child Breaker, Cruel Intentions, which she did with Do Revenge. And finally, we talk about Jennifer's three tips for breaking into the industry. So make sure you stay tuned for the full episode to get those three tips. But I just love storytelling. I loved writing as a kid. I wrote children's books. I loved telling stories. I loved putting on shows in my living room. I think always kind of at my core, I loved storytelling and I loved kind of the theater of it. Mm -hmm. Do you see um, across your project, do you see like a genre you lean towards or how do you kind of see your work as a whole? I don't lean towards a genre. I actually really like playing in different genres, but what I do lean towards is stories about women, stories about trauma, but that are told in incredibly entertaining packages. So that is, I think, where I, the sweet spot in terms of the stories that I tell is about, you know, really wanting to find really emotional stories, grounded emotional stories, and putting them in these heightened environments. And you're, you're kind of listed as a writer, director, producer, I think. How did you first kind of break into the industry? I first broke into the industry as a writer. I wrote a show called Sweet Vicious um, that was made in 2016 uh, and premiered on election day. Um, uh, and that was the first, my first kind of foray into really legitimately working in the industry. And in writing that show and making that show, uh, I worked with a showrunner named Amanda Lasher, who was very open to guiding me and letting me kind of creatively um, be the, the, you know, person that was it, uh, in front of the project. And in doing that, I realized that it's not just writing that I wanted to do, it's directing. I wanted to be able to not just write the thing, but shape the thing and put the thing on film. And so after that, I moved on to Someone Great, uh, which I had already written. And it was in the process of making my television show that I realized I wanted to also be a director. What are some of the things that maybe people don't see? Like if a young writer is looking you up, they see all your success stories on IMDb. Did you kind of have like a drawer full of scripts? Like you said you had a couple already ready. Yeah, I didn't have a drawer. I didn't have a drawer full of scripts. I really had the, I really only had the one. Um, that said, I had 10 years of just kind of flouncing around. And that's not true. It's not true. I didn't just have the one. I had a show when I was in my early 20s. The first thing I ever wrote was um, a show 
uh, about women in kind of their early 20s in Los Angeles. And that was a show that kind of got developed and then redeveloped and, you know, was with different producers. And so that to me was kind of like writing school. And, you know, it wasn't film school because I wasn't making anything. Uh, but in terms of screenwriting and learning the craft of screenwriting, it was kind of writing and rewriting this first television show that I I had. And then, but it's, yeah, it's 10 years of kind of, languishing and, you know, meeting people and trying to figure out where, you know, wh where there's a crack in a door that I can open the door further and step through the door. I'm sure there were dozens or maybe hundreds of ideas that maybe led to Sweet Vicious. Like, when did you know that that was an idea to pursue? Did you combine some ideas together? And for the audience, it says, hell-bent on bringing justice to those who get away with abuse on college campus, Jules and Ophelia take on double lives as wannabe vigilantes. So where did that kind of, how did you know that was one to at least write the spec script for? Um it's a, it was a guttural thing. Like it wasn't necessarily, I wouldn't say there was any aha moment. I, the impetus for that was, I was like, what if Quentin Tarantino wrote girls? Like, what would that look like? Um, uh, and that tickled me. It excited me. It made me feel, you know, I feel like the thing that I kind of come back to is, is, you know, how do I feel in my body when I think about the idea? Do I get really excited and does it stay with me? And do I think about it for days, for weeks, for months? Does it, you know, do I, do I find myself ruminating on it on the subway? Do I find myself, I was living in New York at the time. Do I find myself, you know, thinking about it at dinner and like not listening to the person across from me and like the idea pops into my head and I start, my wheels start to turn and I feel like that is when I really know something is something is for real and something is something and, and an idea is something that I should really follow. Um, and so I would say I use that. I used that then and I still use that now. What's kind of the, the next step after that? Is it note cards, notes in your phone? Do you sit down and write the draft? What's kind of your logistic process? There's all different. I mean, at this point, I've definitely honed more of a process than I don't think I, I, I didn't know what I was doing as much. Um, now my process is. I really like outlines. I think that outlines are your best friend. And I think that they are a, a beautiful beginning to the creative process as it allows you to create a story, write that story, and then you can start to really interrogate what doesn't work about it. Um, because I do think inevitably you're going to outline something and then you're going to get to script and you're going to start to realize, oh, this doesn't want to be here, or this doesn't work when you actually write out the dialogue, or this doesn't need to be here. You can do this. You can do what I thought you needed to do in a scene in one line in the previous scene. Um, but in terms of story and arcing out story and emotional arcs and character arcs, um, that is where I start. I like to start with the characters and then I kind of arc out their, you know, where I want to bring them from point A to point B emotionally, and then look at plot and how does plot service that emotional arc? And how does that emotional arc service the plot? Right. And with, with some of those, um, is it situational that Sweet Vicious became a show and Someone Great became a movie? Like, when do you know when you're working with the characters, which is which? Or does it maybe more of a logistic process with like selling the pilot or something like that? When do you know which is a television show and which is a movie? Yeah, I think it's. In, I think that's story. I think that's like wh like what what type of story are you telling? Does it feel like it has a beginning, middle, and end? Does it serve itself to film, or is it you know you are? I, I, yeah, I think that that's that's what it is. It's just what you know when you're thinking about the characters, when you're thinking about the story. 
is it something that lends itself to television or is it something that lends itself to features? And sometimes you can start and you think it's a television show and then it turns into a feature or you think it's a feature and it turns into a television show. I think it's, it's both having rules and kind of feeling like you understand what you're doing and then being open to adapting it. If you're like, Oh, you know what, as I get into it, I was wrong. You see, you mentioned girls. There was some joke on Shit's Creek, like just watch girls and do the opposite or something like that. When you're writing shows, maybe for young women are geared towards young women. Are you thinking at all about like YA and some of that stuff? Does it need to be educational or just entertainment or a balance or how do you think? Cause you are dealing with some social issues on some of these shows and movies. The first thing I want to say is girls is a really well-written show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is the first thing I want to say. I mean, I think all of it, again, it's, I'm going to continue to talk about character, 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 all of it, everything that I do, everything that, you know, I create is always going to be born out of the characters and the very specific story that I am trying to tell. And I really try not to, you know, make something. It's like, I'm making something like I made something about Jules and Ophelia. I did it. And, but, and, and those characters um, you know, one of which is a survivor of rape, one of which is, you know, her kind of like, you know, buddy Robin to her Batman. I think that every choice we made was specifically born out of how would these two characters deal with a situation and not what is the situation itself and how do we make it the most timely version of the situation? And I think there is a distinction there where you are still sensitive and you are thoughtful, and but you are always kind of examining things through the eyes of the characters that you created and through the world that you created and through the story that you're telling rather than examining it for examination's sake. And I do think, you know, young people are really smart. I think that young audiences are incredibly smart. They're incredibly hungry for things that do not speak down to them. And so for me, I, I never feel like I have to, you know, I like, the way that I wrote Thor is the way that I wrote Sweet Vicious is the way that I wrote Someone Great is the way that I wrote Do Revenge. Are there any things um, you do to try and avoid certain tropes in addition to that? I mean, you're, you're probably, a, like I spoke with Lena Abrahamson who did Normal People and they talk about not wanting to make something like, you know, the soap operas of Dawson's Creek and some of that stuff. Like it's very purposely different kind of based on what you were just saying. Is that how you think about it as well? Like making it as real as possible? Emotionally, I think making it as real as possible is important, but I don't, I don't necessarily make things that are a slice of life. I don't think anything I've ever made has been a slice of life. Um, Sweet Vicious, certainly not. I think someone great in, you know, had kind of magical movie moments that were very specifically created to feel that way. Thor, you know, probably the, you know, that's a slice of life. So, so how did you get involved with Thor? How were you kind of approached? What was kind of your role with that script? Uh, Thor. So I had pitched for Marvel a couple times on different projects and Taika was, had been writing the script for, I think a year, like a a while he'd been developing and writing the script, but he got to a point where he was just so busy and needed a partner. He needed a co-writer to come in and, and be with him to continue moving the, you know, the script down the line towards production. And Kevin felt that we would be, Kevin Feige felt that we would be a good pair. And we were kind of uh, an arranged marriage in a sense. Were you looking at 
you know, all of those films or was it more about, you know, the third one and the fourth one that he specifically did where really they felt like it changed a bit towards more comedy. The third one was so funny and the fourth one was so funny. Yes, totally. For sure. It was really just the third one that, you know, because that's Taika. And so, you know, it was, it was about wanting to come to this process as, because I was writing for Taika. I was writing with Taika, but I was also writing for Taika and matching his voice and wanting it to feel like it was a Taika Waititi film. What were some of the conversations you guys had when you actually started talking about the story together? We had a ton of conversations. I mean, it was him, it was myself, it was Brad Winterbaum, it was Brian Chapek, and it was Simona Paparelli, who uh, Brian, Brad, and Simona work with Marvel. Um, and, you know, we would be in rooms for hours just talking about the different character dynamics, like, you know, the different, the, the, the how do we get from point A to point B to point C, or like knowing that we wanted to get all the way here, this is the end of the movie, how do you kind of work backwards from that beat? And make, you know, what are the choices and, you know, kind of movements within the world of this kind of this specific Thor story that get you from the beginning to the end? What is his arc? Where are we, you know, finding him? And there's so it's like it's really kind of all of these conversations, not just about the MCU and how do you uh, integrate all the different, you know, kind of facets of the MCU, but also just like, again, about character and about story and really kind of trying to bring it back to that whenever we could. Do those fundamentals help you? It seems like this might be a bit overwhelming to work on a a movie like Thor, where you just know millions of people are going to see it. Did those fundamentals and those rules help you kind of ground yourself kind of going into those rooms and meetings and everything? Oh, for sure. I mean, at first, when I first got the job, I got the job and I like had a really amazing afternoon. I called people and I was so excited. And then I woke up at four o'clock morning and I threw up. Um, so, (laughs) so, you know, it's like, you want the job, you want the job, you want the job, and then you get the job and you're like, oh my fucking God, I have the job. Um, so it's like, I don't know. There, there were so many moments, you know, even, even, you know, a year into the process where I felt incredibly comfortable with everyone working on the film where I would kind of be like, shit like because it's crazy it's a crazy job to have um and you can get really lost in the minutia of like the the you know day-to-day stresses of the job because they are the same on a marvel movie as they are in an indie movie it's just you're writing a movie and you don't have enough time and the movie needs to be shot and all of those things Mm um uh but yeah i mean it's it's just doing it on the the biggest scale (laughs) possible did you, and, and these may be out of order when you wrote them. So you have do revenge coming out in about two weeks. I think, um, did you learn anything specifically from Thor that has led to your other screenplays? Anything have changed about your writing style? Nothing changed about my writing, but watching Taika direct helped me a lot as a director, watching Taika direct and watching kind of the ways in which he is so malleable, both and so nimble and how he plays with the actors and how he kind of continues to plus the scenes even in, you know, being inside of it and shooting in, you know, a version of it and then being like, let's shoot this version of it. Let's do this. Let's do that. And just the ability to always be creating. I mean, there was a moment in the movie, there was a moment on set on Thor where he wanted Natalie to break a table. And he just kind of was like, I want this. It wasn't something scheduled. And someone, you know, figured out how to do a breakaway table, like very quickly. And that's amazing. It's just like thinking, like watching someone operate in that space um, 
and knowing the, you know, kind of like the endless possibilities of creativity and that they just follow those threads so beautifully all the time. That was really inspiring. And I definitely took that to do revenge. Did you learn anything else from him? I'm curious maybe about his his business mindset. He's doing so many things at one time. He's producing all these shows on FX and making movies and he's in stuff. Um, I'm curious if anything stood out to you that you kind of wanted to take back as well. He really is one of one. His brain <laughs> is just really special. And so I think for me, it was about watching him move from project to project and kind of work between different worlds, especially these very big worlds, um, and always kind of bringing that type of quality to all of them and being really true to himself and his choices and his own brand of creativity. Um, and that being his North Star was very inspiring. And I think that that is why everything feels so inherently him because he has such a strong voice and a strong presence and is so he you know is so steadfast in like how to execute that so tell me about um do revenge where did that idea come from the idea came from you know i wanted to make a teen movie but i wanted to make the kind of teen movie that i grew up with i wanted to make a jawbreaker a cruel intentions a clueless and i think that the thing about content right now that is made about young people, it is that it is very, it is very real. It is, it is way more slice of life. It is way more kind of, you know, in that world of like, we want to put your experience on screen and we want it to feel like, we want it to feel like you're, you're watching your own life. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make a big popcorn fun movie where you are lost in a world and it feels, and it's like emotionally, it might resonate with you, but it feels nothing like your life. And it just feels like a full movie. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, where I started in terms of tone and feeling and the feeling that I wanted to kind of elicit from an audience and then started to interrogate, okay, well, what is through line between all these films that I really enjoyed as a teenager? And they, a lot of them are reimaginings. And so I was speaking with Peter Cron, who produced my first film, Someone Great and Do Revenge. And we were talking about what, what can we reimagine? And he actually had the idea of Hitchcock. And so that kind of unlocked it for me in terms of landing on strangers on a train, taking that conceit, putting it in high school. And from there, I really felt like we had, we really had something kind of sticky and fun. And your, your separation is more about um, like what type of kids they are, I guess, right. They wouldn't know each other because they're in different crowds. Is that kind of how yeah. you saw the two meeting? Um, yeah. you know, maybe go over a couple of details about like the, the two main characters and how you kind of develop those. Yeah, for sure. And I wrote the film with Celeste Ballard. Um, so Celeste did a lot of, you know, the, the way that our process worked was Peter and I had this idea. We brought it to Celeste um, to write the first several drafts of the film. So there were a lot of it. So the beginning was really Celeste, Peter and I sitting in rooms kind of talking about Drea and Eleanor. Drea is played by Camila Mendez. Eleanor played by Maya Hawk. Um and, you know, who are these kids and in what is this world and kind of, you know, really trying to build that out. Drea, so the story is about um, Drea Torres, played by Camila Mendez, who is the queen bee. She is the most popular girl in school. Um, and she has kind of gotten reached heights that her boyfriend is unhappy about, her boyfriend, Max Broussard, who is the king to her queen. Um, and he kind of courses her into sending him a sex tape. Um, and then leaks that sex tape and then lies to everyone about leaking that sex tape and plays the good guy and says he was hacked. She punches him in the face and she ends up on academic probation. 
Uh, so that is Drea. And then there is Eleanor. Eleanor, Drea meets Eleanor over the summer. Eleanor is someone that when she was 13 years old, went to a day camp and was not just outed by a fellow uh, camper, but the, that camper said that Eleanor tried to hold her down and kiss her and kind of turned her into this gay predator and really ruined her life and turned her life upside down. And she, you know, kind of was ostracized and it was this intense trauma that she experienced as a young person. And she, Eleanor is now at, you know, 17 years old, actually going back to school. She's going to be going to school with Drea. And at that school is the girl that outed her and turned her into a predator all those years ago. So they both have, they both are going to the same school for their senior year. They both have these tormentors at the school. They seemingly do not know each other because no one would know they had met over the summer and they make this plan. They cannot go after them themselves. So they make the plan to team up and go after each other's bullies. And that is uh, the rough story of do revenge. Gotcha. There's a line in the trailer about Austin Abrams character. I think he's called a fake woke hypocrite hypocrite. Yeah. What is that kind of, I mean, I understand what that means, but like, tell me about creating a character like that in today where woke shows are, it is very important, like where are these things balance? And they're very different from movies just a few years ago, because everyone is so conscious of everything that's happening. Kind of talk about that character and what that description means. Yeah, actually in the movie, he's called a fake woke misogynist motherfucker, but you can't <laughs> say that in the trailer. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I think that, you know, so much about this film is about the masks that we wear, who we are behind the masks and who we are presenting kind of in that presentational um, performative way outwardly to the world. And so for Max, for that character, it's, it's about this guy who, you know, I think that, and I think right now, performative allyship, performative feminism, performative wokeness, like all of those things are definitely in the air in terms of people doing and saying things to get clout because they feel like they should. And it's not necessarily who they are at their core, but they are doing it to either advance themselves forward and, you know, create this persona of, you know, you know, I am the model citizen. I am the perfect person. You know, I am this, you know, beacon of wokeness of, you know, what, whatever it may be. Um, but it's not necessarily who they are. And for Max, I think that there was a lot of fun to be had in the idea of this guy and, you know, kind of also just subverting the idea of the popular jock. I think that like this character in an earlier version of this movie in an earlier time would have probably been the popular jock and he wouldn't be woke and he wouldn't be all of those things. Um, but the idea of subverting the popular kid and making him this ultra woke, you know, you know, ally feminist um, when all of it is being done in a completely performative way. I think there's a lot of fun in that. And so that was kind of, you know, the, with all of the conversations we had is how far can we take the performative allyship, the performative wokeness, the performative feminism, where it doesn't feel cartoonish and it just feels, it's like, just rides like on the edge of the line of crossing the line um, where it can just still feel fun and outrageous and, and used as a source of comedy. When you're working on a, a couple of projects like this at the same time, I'm going to kind of maybe oversimplify. So you're working with Thor in kind of an a, apprentice matter. You're kind of coming in and then there's maybe um, uh, someone else's grand vision. And this one, 
Um, I think maybe you have the grand vision. Celeste is kind of working for you. How do you kind of think about these bigger things? Do you think about it more as like storytelling as a business? Do you see movies moving more into that realm of like a TV's writer's room with multiple voices instead of like what used to be is you kind of picture a guy or a girl in a room alone writing by themselves. Do you kind of see everything's transitioning to get the best stories out there and to work on multiple stories at one time? Yeah. I mean, I think apprentice is not the word that I would use. It's collaborator. I think that, you know, cause I think that apprentice is a more of like an apprentice mentor situation. And, and in these, in, in both Thor and in do revenge, it's way more about finding those collaborators and, you know, being able to, you know, really everyone working towards making the best version of the thing. And it's the best idea wins. And for me, both as a writer, when I was writing with Taika and as a director, um, working with Celeste and working with all of the people that I worked with on Do Revenge, it's, it's about not having an ego in what you're doing and servicing the thing itself and not servicing yourself. And I think that is really important to remember that it is not just about you. It is about the art that you're creating. And yes, the art is an extension of you. And I think that there is, you know, especially when you are the director of the piece, like, like everything about Do Revenge, like, I feel like I have, you know, my DNA is a part of this film. Um, But at the same time, it's being able to make space so that everyone involved, and that's not just Celeste, but making space in the pre-production process so that Alana Moore's had the costume designer, Hilary Gertler, the production designer, Brian Burgoyne, the DP, everyone feels like they, that there is oxygen for them within the creative space of making this film. I think you and Celeste had worked together before on, on Sweet Vicious. Um, when you first met, I think she already had writing credits before that, but how much of that first meeting with someone like that is you reading things on the page versus in person? Like, is it just a combination? Is it a gut feeling? Do you have any advice about finding a collaborator like that? I mean, when uh, I first started working with Celeste, which was during Sweet Vicious, you, when you're staffing a television show, you read a lot of writing samples. You read a bunch of writing samples. And then from those writing samples, you pick who you want to meet. And then you meet someone in a room and you vibe with them. And you're like, yes, great. I want to sit with you for 12 hours a day, every day and make a show with you. Or you're like, mm, maybe not, maybe not for me. Uh, love and light, please, uh, have a great life. Um, but with Celeste, you know, she is, she's so funny. She's so, she's brilliant. She went to Yale. She's genius. Um, and I think that she's also just, she is such a champion of the same type of storytelling that I'm a champion of. And so for me, it was really a no brainer because we, we, got along both on a personal level, on a professional level, on a creative level, like it really was a beautiful marriage in terms of us knowing each other and being, you know, creative soulmates, but also just like loving each other as people. Um, And so when I, you know, was looking, was thinking about who would write Do Revenge as I was kind of in the middle of a bunch of stuff and knew that I wasn't going to be the one to write the first several drafts of the film, And also I just wanted a collaborator. I wanted to bring someone in. I was like, oh, I have the ability now to step back and give someone else's job. Um, She was the first and only person that I spoke with about Do Revenge. I think we're almost out of time. I usually like to kind of ask if you have any advice about people breaking in the industry today, but maybe even to get more specific, like young women who want to be writer directors, any advice maybe for those um, young women looking to kind of follow a similar path? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So my advice would be, 
a couple of things. The first is you, you, you just, you need the people around you that are going to help you get in the room. Um, because once you get in the room, it like, all you need is to get in the room and then it is your job and you can do everything else. Um, so find the right people, the managers, the agents, um, you know, send your things out there, do, you know, anything you can possibly do to kind of get in, in those, um, to, to meet those people and to be around those people and to get your things to those people. Um, and I think that great ways to do that are through, you know, different competitions, different writing competitions, different filmmaking competitions, like, you know, the through her, you know, Tribeca and Chanel does through her lens. There are, there are so many different ones that I think, um, are wonderful and help you kind of move to that, that place where you can then have representation because representation is very important. Um, having, uh, a really, really, really strong vision and believing in yourself. And I know that sounds kind of trite, but it is It is really easy for people to, everyone is going to say no to you. Everyone said no to me for a very, 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 very long time. And I was just like, yeah, no, I think, you know, even with Sweet Vicious, that the original script was called Little Darlings, my original spec. I sent it to a lot of people and they were all like, this is a good sample. This is a good whatever. Like even when it was being made, as a pilot, not as a series, but being made as a pilot. And I was taking meetings at agencies. There was an agent somewhere, I'm not gonna say where, <laughs> um, who was like, listen, like, yeah, it's good. It won't go to series. Like even in that moment, I had someone saying, your script is really good and we wanna rep you in spite of your, in spite of the fact that, you know, it's not gonna go to series and it did. So I think that like, you just have to like believe in yourself and manifest and charge those crystals. Cause like, I really do think that like my blind, faith in myself and putting that energetically out into the world is a thing that has helped me move forward. And then the other thing is work ethic. You have to have an insane work ethic. And if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to work really, 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 really hard, that is okay. But this is not for you. Um, and I think that it's really, it's, it's, it's both believing in yourself um, and it's also just like work ethic and by work ethic, you know, something that's the biggest thing. And the thing that I get asked a lot is like, how do you write? Um, and you just do it. And the one thing I will say, and that I always say is it, it, no one has to see it, but you have to write it. Um, and you have to sit down and you have to just like the blank, if the blank page is scary, do anything and everything you can to, you know, push through that, because that is that is the biggest thing is like, you have to have, you have to have the stuff. Um, no one's going to give you anything without the stuff. Um, and so write everything you can write and make short films and just make things and be out there and be creative. And uh, it will click into place. It might take 10 years, but it, it will click into place. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting here. If you're looking for some more information, though, some more about the craft of writing for television, uh, we have a new course called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows with Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com slash television. That is the television screenwriting masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com slash television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.